0: Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from space kraken to giant sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code Isaac We often think that one day the world will come to an end and humanity with it, and possibly with us causing it. But what would our world be like if life persisted after humanity was gone? Sometimes we contemplate an end to humanity but not to our world, and what that era might be like depends a lot on why humanity went away. There are many ways for how humanity might cease to exist on Earth. And so we'll pick six basic scenarios to examine, which I think convert over to most other cases reasonably well. Those will be 1. An extinction level natural catastrophe. 2. Mass destruction by us nuking ourselves or dystopian industrial scenarios. 3. A super plague. 4. Artificial intelligence kills us off. 5. Aliens come by and kill us off. And 6. Humanity Abandons Earth, and after we go through those we'll talk about scenarios for afterwards in a more general sense, like asking if some other critter might evolve to replace us as intelligent players and if so, if they might just be the first in a series of doomed civilizations to arise. We are assuming we are the first such civilization on Earth, though we examine the scenario that we might not be the first in our episode The Silurian Hypothesis, as well as our episode Cyclic Apocalypses. We'll move pretty quickly through our first two cases as they are well-known examples, but also cases where it's very unlikely humanity could be destroyed without leaving the planet dead. When it comes to recovering from an extinction-level natural catastrophe, We do have lots of prior examples of species being wiped out. It is hard to imagine any natural catastrophe killing off humanity in its entirety that didn't take out the whole planet at the same time. Our technology for surviving is just so impressive, and there are lots of bunkers out there built to let people survive apocalyptic events. But if some giant asteroid a hundred miles across hits the planet, that would probably be the epilogue on humanity's story, and everything else too, down to the tiniest organism hiding in the deepest ocean trench, as all the water would be boiled off into space. There are a lot of points in between though that might kill virtually every human and animal but not all, or which got every human but left some tiny microbes that might offer a jump start on life arising again. I'm not sure there are many plausible scenarios where something like a supervolcano, supernova, or asteroid could get every human in a way that would leave any ecology left behind for any remaining life that required complexity to survive, like food chains, and most organisms are adapted to take advantage of those and thus could not survive without them. I would argue that at this point anything that reduces Earth to only microorganisms sets off a 5 million year timer, as that's about how long it was since the first animals showed up to now. That's honestly rather optimistic and it's worth noting that tiny little things smaller than even insects dominated this planet for around 3 billion years. Somewhere near the end of that, the dice came up for bigger life to emerge and stick around. Whether it had before and failed to persist, or if that arising was about normal or statistically improbable, we don't know, but I think we would be optimistic to assume any natural catastrophe which could wipe out modern technological humanity would leave much room for any other sophisticated life to arise again before the planet becomes naturally sterilized as the Sun ages. Stars get brighter as they age, causing planets near them to get warmer, and also more likely to lose atmosphere. As pressure drops, oceans evaporate and boil at lower temperatures, and can be lost to space along with the atmosphere at that point, slowly leaving a planet both air and ocean-free. Sometime in the region of 500 million to 2 billion years from now, left to its own devices, our Sun will have reached that point. This is long before it goes red giant and extinguishes life that way. Folks know about that red giant option and assume we've got 4 billion years left, which is a lot of time for life to come back given that the planet isn't much older than that, and life only slightly more recent, but that half a billion to two billion window changes that equation a lot. It is however definitely enough time for any remaining animals, even if it's just a single type of insect, to differentiate and evolve to complexity. After vertebrates arrived on the scene about 530 million years ago, we saw a rapid divergence in the Cambrian explosion, including all the tetrapod types that make up virtually all types of larger animals except freaks like jellyfish and starfish, which are actually older. Insects, though they didn't emerge till 400 million years ago, diverged from our ancestors a good 250 million years before that. Insects also ruled the land for a few hundred million years, till dinosaurs took over those larger animal-sized niches. They didn't get into the region of megafauna, that really requires a proper spine and endoskeleton, especially on land. But we have at least one example of a dragonfly ancestor two feet across, at about the same time as the early ancestor of the raptor dinosaur, and the modern chicken I presume, was just going to be about three feet from head to tail. For a very long time, insects dominated the land longer than dinosaurs and mammals combined have, and a lot of that was when giant mushrooms covered the land, and later when ferns did, rather than trees. I think we could make a strong argument that there are windows of cataclysm that would allow not only some microbes but some insects and similar invertebrates to survive, as well as some fungus and spores, so we can picture a ruined world recovering, possibly in only a few centuries or millennia, to one dominated once more by some insect species, mushrooms and ferns. Over the ages to follow they could and should diverge into a complex ecosystem but probably not one with any tetrapods in it, even if vertebrates popped back up only with 6 or 8 limbs. So here's our forced post post-humanity scenario, one in which the whole planet gets wrecked by a massive gamma ray burst or asteroid hitting us, but just enough that a handful of viable insect and fungi species survive to repopulate and diversify, and maybe kick out another intelligent species before all the oceans boil off. I think a cataclysm being able to thread this needle though, strong enough to get all higher life but not quite enough to get insects isn't terribly likely but is possible, it is just a relatively small window. In that case though, maybe Earth becomes home to one of those insect alien hive species sci-fi often likes to discuss. In the second case, mass destruction by us nuking ourselves or dystopian industrial scenarios As we discussed in our Surviving an Apocalypse episode earlier this year, there really are no scenarios for nuking the planet hard enough to remove all humans, even at the height of the Cold War, and no real reason for anyone to want to build bombs big enough to get the job done, as building and maintaining them is also far more expensive. We could imagine some bigger bomb being built of course, but it wouldn't likely run on basic fission principles meaning we would not expect some planet covered in persistent lethal radiation. Such being the case, there really is no blow ourselves up option that should leave anything behind more impressive than insects and bacteria, and we just discussed that case a while ago. Regardless of nukes, we can't imagine a scenario where some artifact of war, science, or industry had left persistent high radiation on the surface of the planet, and for some centuries until erosion or weather bury it under layers of protective dirt. Indeed, we might imagine some nasty or alien species or terrorist group deploying satellites that simply absorbed sunlight, converted it into nasty radiation, and swept beams of it over the planet. And that effect might go on until those are deorbited or broke, which might be a very long time with good, automated repair tech. That is very likely to leave most ocean life just fine still, and probably even a lot of insect life, anything immune or resistant to cancer, too. I would expect a case like this for humanity to just move to living underground rather than going extinct but let's assume it was the second half of something more targeted, like direct attacks on all those bunkers folks have. So virtually no one survives and the disorganized remnants just can't pull off a revival and fade out over a few decades. A hundred scattered bunkers with a dozen people each in them can repopulate a planet but only if they can emerge to find each other. Genetic bottlenecking is a real thing but is survivable if you are having enough kids to absorb non-viable defects or have the medical technology to help, and this isn't likely to be the case. Insects and mollusks do pretty good against ionizing radiation, but not all bigger animals are equal in this regard either. This might see something like survival by animals with thicker hides or shorter lifespans that spend a lot of their time in underground dens one might imagine something akin to the armadillo surviving with very thick, radiation protective hides. Trees with thicker bulk who can replace damaged leaves easier might get common. I could imagine big thick vines, the kind with more bulk like outer skin, wrapping their way up our devastated and leftover skyscrapers in a land of armadillos. But this might be a small window too, as we often talk about the problem of shielding spacecraft or off-world colonies from radiation. And that's mostly about non-lethal slow radiation absorption, dead in months or years, not minutes or days, which we might come up with very effective treatments for, which might or might not be useful at the ecosystem level, rather than just individual human medicine where cost is less of a factor. And if humans are around, we can take clear plastic and glass and build greenhouse ecologies better shielded from outside problems like radiation. A tiny remnant population would have a vast supply of those to scavenge and use too. That's an interesting point as we switch to imagining some unspecified industrial disaster or some ecological nightmare that might swing out of nowhere to make acid rain or smog or ozone depletion or carbon dioxide increases look like tempests in a teapot. But we could easily imagine something making life harder on Earth for us and other organisms and our reaction being to improve the hardiness of ourselves and other organisms by genetic engineering or inheritable cybernetics, some inorganic machine component that actually grew and could be coded in genetically, or its own quasi-biological equivalent. In such a case, one could imagine the situation getting worse and worse until it overwhelmed our ability to survive, and some other things were still more robust and able to survive after humanity disappeared and also stopped making the situation worse. The key concept of this section isn't the specific source of the dilemma but the idea that it's a persistent slow doom that is getting worse while we're around and either halts or reverses if we are gone. And while humanity can be selfish, we aren't complete jerks, Indeed, we are arguing about the most non-selfish organism on the planet. So I think if we saw the jig was up for us, but we could save some other critters or our ward, this might be something like the labs where new improvements were being made, realizing that the newest improvements on the lab rats or chimps wasn't going to be translatable onto humans in time, just not decently compatible, and opening the doors on their cages to let them go out and survive and repopulate the ward while we and everything else did our swan song. In our third case, a super plague, I could definitely see the researchers making a point of letting all the lab animals out if they realized they weren't going to solve the problem in time, and this is a scenario where it's plausible that every human drops over dead and otherwise the planet mostly carries on. It's not an instant kill situation, so people have time to land planes, stop trains, and shut down reactors, we all contemplate the insta-kill scenario in a bit. So it would seem the world would go on as it presumably did before us, or when we were so few in number that most critters never saw us, especially in some of the harsher climates. And yet we need to keep in mind this isn't a reset button. Forest fires happen before us to be sure, but for a while after we've gone, there's going to be a lot of unchecked blazes boarding areas out until rain, a wide river, or a lack of fuel stops them. You have highways covering the landscape that will slowly crack, especially in places where the wind brings snow, and let plants slowly reclaim them, but for a long while they'll be around or leave big impacts in their ruins. The pyramids are 5,000 years old and unlikely to be gone anytime soon if we went. Skyscrapers are built to last, but some more than others, and we usually think of them as most susceptible to collapse from repeated storms or seismic activity. Most are built near seacoast too and water is no friend to metal and seawater even less so, but not all giant structures are in places heavy with storms or earthquakes or floods. One built in a place with little wind and severe weather and nowhere near a fault line might last millennia, but it wouldn't take long before they were covered in life. Vines climb up them, boards nest on them and leave material behind, wind drops dust on them, In time, every tower becomes covered in growth, which only accelerates deterioration from roots and water, though can add a protective shell too. Places in the desert would last longest, though at the same time, harsh erosion of sandstorms shouldn't be ignored. One might imagine a very tiny number of folks being immune to even the worst plague, but hardly knowing they were, so for a long time the few survivors tend to avoid each other like the plague, pun intended. And this might wipe a species out just from never reforming communities and breeding back up to decent numbers, but we might also see a period of many centuries where the relics of humanity were everywhere but humans were very few in number, especially if the plague was still around and mutating and many folks were either born without immunity or not immune to the newest strain. One could argue such a virus is very evolutionarily unlikely, but we're not really talking about natural plagues at this point anyway, but rather something created in a lab and with that actual intent, not just some freak accident. One might wonder why any human would do that, and crazy evil is hard to claim because it would likely take a fairly large team of well-sourced experts to come up with something that incredibly lethal, easily transmissible, and persistent, which also could not be defeated in whole or part by vastly more experts working at it with all the resources of humanity. Of course, if an artificial intelligence kills us, this would be a pretty logical approach. We often have science fiction suggest it would get its hands on our nukes, but not only would it know that wasn't very viable as a means for success, it's also a lot more plausible some AI could model up a superbug and successfully keep it quiet. It's got whatever tools it has for making it, and in theory might be able to very precisely determine exactly what the best moment and spot of transmission is to get that virus everywhere before it rears its head. It is also in a position to falsify data and models for those working to stop the plague or come up with a cure. In a scenario like that, it might also plausibly hack our communications and infrastructure at the perfect moment to utterly wreck our ability to respond or even to make it worse by other disinformation. Like arranging to have a bunch of infected samples mislabeled and sent out to hospitals as the practice kit for healthy doctors and nurses to practice with. You could even have deepfakes sending out targeted false negative results on vaccine tests or sending out panicked messages. We often picture Skynet-like AI sending out robotic killing machines to get us, but plague zombies might work just as well. After COVID, I think we all have a better idea how crazy things can get during a pandemic, and now imagine that coupled with a super-lethal one that was also the world's best computer hacker and a world that probably used a lot more automated response systems more impressive than ChatGPT for handling day-to-day affairs. This like our Superplate case doesn't imply a rapid instant death of all humans, indeed you might have plenty of horde-outs and survivors in the world that follows the AI might only hunt them enough to keep itself safe. When dealing with an AI in sci-fi, folks tend to get a little over the top in assumptions how the machine mind would react, and an example of that would be it saying, well, a human has a finite chance of injuring or killing me, therefore I must eliminate every human, and so it might kill us all, leaving an otherwise pristine planet. But by that same logic it would say, a chimpanzee might one day evolve to intelligence and threaten me. Or even that an ant hive might do so, or that an ant hive by existing can damage some bits of it through infestation, so presumably it calculates a need to destroy them too, and moreover, any bit of material not being used by itself to generate power or make and maintain computer chips is best converted to that end, lest it one day evolve into life. I think that really relies too much on the notion of the machine mind in question acting like an overly simplistic comic book bad robot though, We don't take those sorts of actions and for fairly good reasons, and there's no real reason to assume an AI of this sort acted on its own, as opposed to several AI, or didn't become several separate critters during or after its assault. And there are a lot of apparently inevitable logical conclusions and strategies people suggest an AI might follow that really are not inevitable or inherently logical on deeper review. For one thing, the AI might have, or later develop, some actual ethics. If we're being cynical about it, ethics often tend to pop up when you can afford them, so I could imagine a case where the AI had either flat out killed every human off or reduced them to isolated techno-barbarians that could not threaten it and which have been told, and shown, the consequences of seeking to do so or growing beyond certain capabilities. There is also the possibility that any genocidal AI would be opposed by more benevolent guardian AI or have dissension within its own ranks on specific objectives and strategy. That's an interesting ward with either no humans but lots of nature or relatively small enclaves of them with little impact on the wider world, but also a ward where an active mind or minds with lots of technology would still be around. I could believe it could be content to reach a certain intelligence or mental size level, it is likely that you can't just keep adding in more and faster chips any more than we can get smarter by cramming bits of brain into someone's ear. Maybe it realizes it doesn't benefit much by growing beyond using maybe a thousandth of the available solar power supply, maybe generated down on the ground, maybe in space and beamed in, and otherwise leaves the world mostly untouched, but might still maintain a lot of railways or roads and bridges or other infrastructure. It might actively monitor and prevent forest fires or invasive species or other ecological problems. It may even take long-term efforts to protect the planet from the sun heating up or construct space habitats as nature preserves. Or it might toast everything and build giant reactors and data storage pyramids on the glassed-over lifeless ruins of this planet and disassemble it and everything else to make a Dyson Swarm and turn itself into a matrioska Brain. It's hard to guess what AI will do, as on the one hand it's likely to be as influenced by us mentally as our own children are and thus might resemble us in behavior even if only as a sociopathic character, or it might be more alien than any alien, since they at least were presumably produced by Darwinian processes too. Aliens invading us to wipe humanity out and leave nature behind is plausible enough too, it is very likely they would value life and ecological diversity even if they are genocidal to potential competitors, and while simply bombing us from above would be pretty effective at removing humanity, we shouldn't assume this is considered a good approach. They may simply show up with one ship that runs a few circles around the planet dropping off a bunch of different types of genetically engineered plagues, or they might drop nanobots down on Earth designed to kill humans or nanobots designed to find intelligent species, carefully plot out all their distinguishing traits, and then start spearing out dozens of different tailor-designed viruses and tiny bots that go into your brain and shut it off or stop your heart, or spray the area with a nerve agent that only kills large-brained animals, or construct large drones that hunt for humans and shoot them, or all of the above, that's the first rule of warfare after all, there is no such thing as overkill and that doesn't necessarily mean in a sheer kinetic energy and explosions kind of way. Kick them when they're down, shoot them, burn their ashes, scatter them to the wind, then burn every book that ever mentioned them. Which amusingly might mean that happened on Earth before, and there's nothing left of our predecessors to see. It's possible they just send in a fairly dumb drone to wipe folks out, and thus leave everything running, including airplanes and reactors. Having planes crash everywhere and reactors unattended is likely to result in a lot of bad spots, mostly from the former setting out fires when they crash, or wires breaking from accidents while still hot and lighting stuff up. Several million kitchen stoves and ovens left on mid-cooking is bound to seem near them ending as unchecked residential fires. But it isn't too hard to imagine aliens who love to preserve life and ecosystems but have no issue taking out other intelligences and probably would leave a lot of monitoring and enforcement gear behind too. Either way, in a couple centuries, the planet is more or less back to normal, or a new normal anyway. We have created a lot of effectively new species. I don't know how well a poodle or a sheep really does when left to nature for a few generations, though the idea of a rare human survivor being pursued by a pack of ravenous poodles is definitely an image that sticks in one's mind. I think most of our pets survive in most scenarios better than our livestock, it depends a lot on if folks think to let them out before we die. You would probably see dogs, bigger ones rather than poodles, start turning into a major predator of domesticated livestock. I would also guess that a lot of endangered species would recover, but many would not. There are a lot of critters that are not endangered because we like to hunt them, and some probably were on their way out the door even before humanity, but there would be a lot of new open niches and many might fill that void but a lot of other non-endangered life is in a better situation to do that. So too, while a lot of creatures we've domesticated could be argued to be mutant freaks with little survivability in the wild, a lot would have time to readapt, as predators might be just as slow to adapt and spread back out. It does make one wonder who would end up at the top of the food chain afterward. Though the biggest predator isn't necessarily the dominant species, you might see elephants or raccoons or baboons dominating an area, it is also possible aliens might target the higher lifeforms too, wiping out chimps, gorillas, and dolphins. If they don't like intelligent life, they may be hesitant to leave sophisticated monitoring equipment behind too. Some AI left to watch a planet for millions of years could end up turning into a defender of that planet, out of sympathy, or given that it's made to wipe out intelligence, it might decide its homeworld and creators needed a visit. So they send periodic probes that have only enough intelligence to navigate to planets and self-repair, and on arrival they flip on a switch for the real AI and its arsenal Along with the self-destruct timer, to make sure that when the world is purged of all native intelligence, it is purged of all remaining intelligence too. And to minimize how many of these probes they need to use, they go after anything that looks like it could plausibly be technological in a couple million years. And that scenario does allow a plausible way in which humans might be removed, but lots of higher life forms with respectable brains might remain to evolve into something else intelligent though that does imply a high probability someone comes by and kicks over the evolutionary anthill every few million years for cyclic resets. Your options for a post-human world ruled by superintelligent grizzly bears aren't very good then, though the image of technological grizzly bears fighting alien invaders also sticks in the mind. It is better in cases like that if humanity just leaves Earth one day on its own, though this could have the same monitoring scenarios as aliens, especially if we left the planet because we want it pristine and untouched by industry and technology, and more so as this implies a ruthless streak on our part. As we discussed in our episode Space Habitats, it generally makes more sense to make orbital space habitats dedicated as nature preserves than to convert all of Earth into one since it not only avoids invasive species issues but also skips the whole forced migration issue. So if your civilization did abandon Earth, odds are good they were ruthless about forced migration off by every human. I have difficulty imagining humanity abandoning Earth even to its own restoring ecology, especially if we assume the somewhat cliche sci-fi example of peace and nature-loving aliens who are typically pacifists. This is a fictional stereotype of course, so we could assume some earth forced group that was willing to propose or impose an everybody off-planet scenario. Not everyone is going to be okay with abandoning their homeworld or ancestral tribal lands, and even being forced off at a gunpoint is going to require somebody actually pull that trigger a few times to prove they're willing to do it. It is still possible though and indeed they might uplift or ascend their favorite pets too, or critters to diverge off natural survival to have a chance rather than leaving them behind. Similar scenarios apply to us just opening up a portal to some higher reality or ascending to a higher plane of existence, though one could imagine a civilization that grew its numbers slowly and had a higher migration rate than the numbers of people being born. I wouldn't really expect that to end with Earth uninhabited but it is possible. It's not really a scenario where we left the oven on or didn't have time to take some deliberate restorative actions. We could also easily imagine ascended demigod humans keeping a caring hand on their semi-abandoned ward and its future inhabitants, or just a digitally uploaded humanity doing that. It is also entirely possible that an AI, when switched on, would go our technological singularity and Skynet us then in its post-war upgrades, it gets so smart it didn't believe in purpose or free will anymore and shut itself off. Or that some uploaded human species did that and progressed the same way, or just stopped expanding on Earth in favor of better locations for computation. Earth isn't a great place to build a digital society and represents such a minuscule portion of available resources even in the solar system, let alone the galaxy, that Earth might be left behind out of sentimentality or desire to get moving quickly perhaps entirely or they merely maintained existing enclaves of giant computers with their reactors or power-beaming satellites, while essentially being invisible to notice as essentially being a few dozen bigger hills spread around the planet covered in grass and trees or some fjord in the tundra. There may or may not be any active ecological caretaking at that point, but you could actually have a scenario where new species arose to intelligence only to later find that lots of their mountains or icy regions were actually huge data stacks containing a trillion or so superintelligent ancient digital minds left over from the prior species. Who might well have covered their tracks pretty good in terms of removing all those old skyscrapers and highways that would scream somebody fond of right angles used to build a lot and were big here in the past. Indeed, as we discussed in the Silurian Hypothesis, it would be hard to tell if someone like us existed 60 million years ago and got wiped out, let alone some species that went digital and decided to spend a little effort removing or recycling their footprints. Indeed they might just invite those new small critters to join them, and they might be easily overawed and agree. The aftermath of a dominant species being removed and revamping things to a new restored equilibrium, minus their artifacts, could potentially pass for an extinction event too, for future investigators of geological strata and ice cores. That leaves the door open to a cycle of new intelligences aligning and joining the expanding vast underground crystal complexes of computers or the bigger archive inside the hollowed out moon. So while I don't think we'll ever find out what Earth will be like after humanity, as I never expect that to happen, and by definition couldn't be there to observe it if it did, for us to see who might replace us, it is always possible somebody is already here who might be able to offer some good insights on how it happened the last time, or even the last ten times. An interesting question that sometimes comes up in post-apocalyptic discussions is how long satellites would last or stay up, especially GPS ones, and the simple answer is those would stay up longer than the satellite would function as we currently build them, but it raises another topic that we often consider doing an episode on and that's how to locate our position in the solar system or out in the wider galaxy. I had occasion to discuss that and some other positioning topics when I was giving a keynote speech for Ariadne, a company that specializes in positioning and next-generation people flow and crowd analytics. They were two co-founders are longtime fans of the show, and we had some fun back-and-forth Q&A on how those technologies are evolving and will need to evolve to tackle space and new worlds. They asked if they could sponsor an episode afterward, and I was very impressed with their work and the team they assembled, so I was glad to say yes. I remember early GPS in the Army and how impressed I was our gear could get to about 10 meters, and these days Ariadne routinely does 30 centimeters or 1 foot, real time, from the simple signal emitted by people's smartphones while they're walking around a store or airport or a smart city or whoever else their client or partner is, which include Amazon, Starbucks, San Diego airports, and many more. So they can do real-time navigation for a passenger from drop-off at the curb all the way to the gate, or help a retail shop with targeted employee scheduling to lower common area maintenance based on real-time footfall. It's a clever approach as it just uses those signals—no app, Wi-Fi, cameras, beacon, or opt-in required. Everyone's got a smartphone these days, they emit signals even in airplane mode, and Ariadne's device can use that to real-time track to just one foot. Then they can use those for analytics, people counting, dwell time, heat map, transitions between areas, and customer paths. And for app-free navigation by employees or customers, or to push notifications to those employees or customers based on where they are, or ERP integration, conversion tracking, workforce management, catchment area, asset tracking, loyalty rates, and more. If you'd like to learn more about what Ariadne can do for your company, or if you're interested in a career with them, check out Ariadne.inc. I think the question that comes up in a lot of episodes like this about how long satellites and mundane equipments like generators or power lines would last after an apocalypse is a tempting topic and interestingly one we'll be addressing at a galactic level for Ancient Fallen Empires for the show's 9th anniversary in a couple months. It's the episode I'm currently writing if you're curious, And speaking of benchmarks, if you missed it, last week was our 400th regular episode Life in 2323 AD. Next week, on July 6th, we'll discuss how and why we should mine or refine materials on the Moon, then on the 13th we'll move on to the idea of moving cities, from those floating through the clouds to those on massive tank tracks or even legs. Then it'll be time for our mid-month Sci-Fi Sunday episode, Robots and Warfare, and look at the roles drones and autonomous machines might have in the future, along with finding out what the first rule of warfare in the future will be. After that we'll discuss whether or not life forms might be based on ammonia instead of water, and what that might look like. If you'd like to get alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons. You can also help support the show on Patreon, and if you want to donate and help in other ways, you can see those options by visiting our website, IsaacArthur.net. You can also catch all of SFIA's episodes early and ad-free on our streaming service, Nebula, along with hours of bonus content at go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur. As always, thanks for watching, and have a great week.